that is what I wish I could go back and talk to my younger self about it as a person that I am now who doesn't hesitate to do things, who isn't afraid of getting that no. I wish I could have gone back and said something to myself because it's never as bad as you think it is. Episode 16 of the Outfield Podcast. I'm excited about every guest I have on this show, but this one is particularly special for many different reasons. We have a great journalist on to talking about her life in covering sports, being an out woman in sports, being an out black woman in sports. I cannot think of, sadly, very many of them. But most importantly, we have the first Maryland Terrapin on this show. I'm ashamed that I haven't gotten many more of them on this show until now. But Rhiannon Walker, welcome to the show and go Terps. No, go surfs as well, Matt. Thank you. That was exceptional. I appreciate the uh, many out black women. I definitely appreciate that as well. I am extremely excited to be on, especially with another turf. That just makes my day without question. When did you graduate? 2015. Okay, so you're a year before me. You must have seen me running around those halls at the Merrill College. I had a Jaguars hat on most of the time, so maybe you saw that. <laughs> well, yeah, if I saw Kofi running around in the Cincinnati Bengals stuff, oh, I definitely you saw, saw you running around. Kofi, my boy. I love Kofi. Yeah, I, I remember you, yeah. yeah. Kofi's, Kofi's great. Okay, that's a Kofi Yeboah is uh, somebody who's done some great, crazy, crazy video stuff for SB Nation. He's a Maryland alum <laughs> around the time we were there. So I don't want to get too inside baseball on Maryland stuff because that, that wouldn't be fair to everybody else mm-hmm. who's listening for stuff that's not that. But, yes, shout out to Kofi. He's <laughs> awesome. There's a lot of great people at the Merrill College. I mean, oh, God, I could go through lists of people. Uh, and you're just another Oh, one. you could go through lists. I could go through lists, yeah. I mean, it's, it's – I mean – you don't get to be a journalist without tightening up your own school because, I mean, the broadcasters do it at Syracuse and Northwestern, so, yes, the Maryland alums have to do it, too. And I, I, I will say it forever, even though I've suffered a lot covering Maryland sports. It's not been fun. I've uh, <laughs> never made a better decision in my life than covering Maryland uh, athletics and never made a better decision in my life than going to Maryland. That was awesome. So before we get too off the rails of that, introduce people to who you are. They might have um, been introduced to you a little bit recently for – other reasons, but in a positive light, talk to people about who you are. You cover the Washington Potatoes for The Athletic. Very fun team to cover, obviously. <laughs> and you root for The Athletic, you root for The Undefeated. You've written just about everywhere. Uh, so tell everybody a little about yourself. I will try to keep this very concise. Uh, so right now, I am the beat reporter for, I'm one of two people who's the beat reporter for the Washington football team. Now, that's the official name. I remember when people used to get mad at me for saying that, but now they can't. <laughs> well, I've um, and so, potatoes for I'll... years because, you know, red skin potatoes. And somebody pointed that out to me, and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to call them that from now on. Oh, I gathered that when you said the Washington potatoes. I was like, oh, that's slick. I see what he's doing there. I, um, but no, the I'm, first time, but... I, I give them immense credit because that's what I've been doing for years, and it's, it's worked very nicely for me. <laughs> so I cover the Washington football team, one of two people on that beat. I work for the Athletic, and I've worked for them now almost two years in September. September 4th is my second-year anniversary. And then I did work for the Undefeated ESPN's website for sports, race, and culture for two and a half years. Uh, That was my first job out of college. I joined them in February 2016, and I was with them until August 2018. So, yeah, exactly two and a half years on the dot. And that's when I transitioned over to the Athletic to cover NFL, which has been amazing the last few years, but you alluded to um, being everywhere. I did do, as you know, a lot of people, I guess, would know now is I did the nine internships at Maryland in addition to three other journalism jobs while I was at the school during my four years there. 
Um, graduating in 2015, I was a recipient of the um, Merrill All-Star Student Award in 2015. They award that to the best sports journalist student in the school. I was one of two people that won the award that year. And um, I'm from the DMV area. I'm from Prince George's County, raised and born in Washington, in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, that's, that's really it in short. I really kept that one pretty brief, actually. Yeah, that's it. Well, I mean, journalists are not good at tarting ourselves up because we, we we're here to talk to other people and do that for them. So I forgot to ask mm -hmm. off the hop, what's it like doing an interview where you talk about yourself when I'm the one asking questions, not you? Because I've always wondered that with journalists and broadcasters when we interview each other. Mm, it depends on the person that's interviewing me and how comfortable I am with the person, because obviously I know the tricks of the trade. So if I want to hedge on something, I'll hedge. But most people that know me very well will tell you I'm very blunt. So it's very rare that like I, I won't agree to an interview with somebody who I don't really care to be interviewed by. Let's start there. So it's, it's just very rare. Like if you ask me a bad question and I'll just kind of, you might hear me sit there thinking about it. Like, Oh, that wasn't a good question. Um, it could be a little, sometimes I feel like it's a little judgmental because you're thinking like that wasn't a good question or you really haven't studied like me at all. And I've had those thoughts sometimes being interviewed by people, which is unfortunate, but I've had the majority of my interviews have been fantastic. And it's, as I said to you when we were off the mic, I, I don't like to talk about myself. I mean, if I'm prompted to asking a question, it's informational. Sure, I'll answer some questions, but I'm pretty consistent in not really wanting a whole bunch of attention on me. That's okay. I mean, I understand that completely, but that's why I like to give the attention to other people. I do this show not because <laughs> I want to tout myself as being a great interviewer, because I'm not. I ask run-on questions that go on for 10 minutes with no real point because I'm trying to tap dance and figure out what the hell I'm trying to say. But it's a point to produce a chance to talk to these people and put them out there and say, these are great people doing great things, particularly without people in sports. And in your story, is amazing. The last show I did with Derek Orn was the first black guest I had on the show, and I'm embarrassed it took that long to get one. And you're the first out black woman that I found on the show. So talk about a little bit about your life growing up. Growing up in the DMV, pre-G County, it's a great place. I love it there. Um, I, I miss it in some ways. There's a lot of things there about that that I miss when I'm at home and I think about my time in Maryland. So talk a little bit about growing up there and a little bit about your life and your coming of age with your sexuality, how you kind of figure where you are with that and in that sense. Because understanding how people come to view their own sexuality when younger, particularly when somebody who is covering sports, I always think about it as the sports is the realm of the straight white man and uh, we have an out black woman. So it's about as far away from the normal as you can get. Okay. In terms of being from the DMV area, I think that it's extremely special. Um, hmm. I first I think, uh, I hate when I do that. I think one of the things that I love the most about being from the DC area, being from Prince George's County, and I talk about this pretty regularly, is the fact that I grew up seeing myself and other people in terms of seeing black women in positions of power, seeing black people doing great things, both of my parents working for the government and being in a household where my mom had multiple degrees and having neighbors with multiple degrees and all of them being black. When I speak about this, I say that it's very easy for a kid like me coming up to to see that, to see college as a possibility because I was around it all the time. It's not a foreign concept. It's not unrealistic. It's not unattainable. And that's one of the things that I love the most about being from the DMV is that, I mean, we could look at our former police chief at one point in time, um, I believe was black. You can look at my, all, most of my doctors are black, except for my doctor who I love very dearly, Dr. Miller. She's super cool. But that's what I'm actually, most, all my doctors are women. 
And then, like I said, there's Dr. Miller, who's white women, but the rest of them are all black women. And I think that is the coolest thing in the world. I think that that's awesome for people to see. And so, like, for instance, that wasn't the job that I was personally interested in. But if there is a kid that's interested in being a dentist, being a general practitioner, being an OBGYN, being any of those things, it's so reasonable because you interact with that person at least once a year, if not multiple times a year. And I think that that's great for self-esteem, for confidence. I went to a primarily black elementary school before I transitioned to my private school, St. Stephen's St. Agnes, which was primarily white and affluent. And it was, it was interesting. I had a good deal of confidence. I had done a great, I was just on Twitter talking about grades and I had come out of my last year of elementary school at a 4.0 GPA. And so I, you know, I was the person voted most likely to succeed out of my class. I go to this elementary school where I was moved there because my mom was not happy with the fact I wasn't being challenged. When I tell you I would finish my homework at school so I could come home to play video games, I used to sit there on the Nintendo, play Madden for hours, and just be so happy. Because, I mean, again, I understood if I finish my work, I can do what I want to do with my free time after the fact. Like, I could go outside or do whatever. And so I made that a habit. I just get the work done. I do the work well. I get good grades. I stay out of trouble. I can play my, you know, my Nintendo. Cool. So my mom wanted me to be pushed, and she put me in St. Stephen's and Agnes partially because of the fact that 99% of the students go to college. It, again, it's going to happen one way or the other. And also, it was the school that touted its writers. And so that's when I think about my interest in writing. A lot of that comes from a lot of the English teachers that I had. Um, I had a lot of great English teachers. I had a lot of teachers that I really enjoyed working with. I enjoyed working with a Dr. Seidel or Mr. Wagner, or I looked at um, Mrs. Woods, um, Mrs. Keith. I had some fantastic English teachers, and I had some fantastic history teachers, too, while I was at it. And they reinforced my interest in doing so. There was a point where I wanted to be a professional basketball player. That was not disciplined enough for that. And there was a point where I wanted to be an architect. Realized I'm not very good at calculus, and I'm also not great at physics. So I stuck to what I was really good at, and I was writing, that was talking, and specifically talking about sports, and that's how I got into it. And so I went to Maryland because I have a ton of family that's gone to Maryland. I've had three uncles go there. I had a cousin go there. I have another cousin who's going to go into our freshman year next year. I had another cousin who went there three years after I started. Just I had a lot of family roots there. I was one of those people that wanted to stay home. Like I said, I love the DMV area, I don't, and people – ask me all the time, do you want to leave or do you want to live somewhere else? The luxury of the job that I have is that I travel so much for at least half a year minimum that it's so nice to just come home and be around people that know you. And I don't feel that sense of, I didn't get out of the DMV area. I did internships in Chicago. I did internships in Houston, Dallas, and Oklahoma City. And I traveled across the United States. I've been to 36 different states. I am good. I'm very good. And I've been to a couple different countries too on top of that. So I love being here. I love that in one way, it felt like this very, it felt like an oasis, this paradise. Like I said, seeing black people doing cool jobs, seeing black people with nice things because they had a good job, they had a good education, or they were just very hardworking, whatever the case may be. And knowing that that's how they have their nice house, they have their nice things, that was wonderful. And it took me really actually until my cousin was in high school. It was, I think, after I was maybe in, maybe I was in college school. But it was him going to a football camp in Pittsburgh where it kind of dawned on me the realization that he went out there and there was, I guess, some black person that had a nice car or something. And basically the assumption from the group was that this person was either an athlete, a musician, a drug dealer, 
or one of those three options. It had nothing to do with the fact that maybe they worked hard for it or that they were well-educated or any of those things. And that was weird to me because that was, I see people nice things and I don't assume those things. That's never my first thought. And so hearing him talk to me about that or the, some of the interactions he's had with the police just left me disappointed, surprised, and realizing that I guess I've kind of grown up, the bubble can work both ways. It helps with confidence, but it also insulates you. And so just the realization of stepping out in the broader world, and that kind of experiences in middle school and high school as well, too, it just, it's very different. It's very, very different. But I got to spend all of my educational years in this area and get comfortable with that dynamic. My minor is in history and specifically with a focus in African-American history and women's studies as well, too, outside of my sports journalism degree. So I, it was, it, the, the growing up part was, in many ways, it was very easy. In some aspects, it was hard. My parents are very open-minded and they're very supportive. And I mean, some people's parents, I have, you know, I have some friends whose parents want them to be lawyers or doctors to get a job where they make money because they want them to be comfortable. I get the idea of why they want them to do it, even if that's not what they want to do. My parents wanted me to go out and do what it was that I wanted to do. And for me, that was sports journalism. And I never got any hesitation. Both my parents drove me across country. My dad drove me to Oklahoma City. He drove me to Chicago. He drove me to Houston. He drove me to Dallas. My mom would come get me. My sister might come with her. And that was just that on that. Their big emphasis was on me getting experiences that I would remember and hold on to. And that's a lot of my thought on life is that sometimes I mean, I'm willing to spend money on experiences. You should see the amount of concerts I've been to since I first started, you know, going by myself in 2012. I fully believe that. And I'm thankful my parents gave me that kind of a thought. And that's not saying I'm financially reckless. I'm not. It's just to say that their thought is that you only have a finite amount of time to be here. So why not experience the most things that you can experience? That's why for me right now, like I said, I have the 36 states that I've visited. I have the 14 to go. And I really want to get to them all by 30. So I have, you know, two and a half years left to go on that, a little more than two and a half years to get that accomplished. But that's just what I mean to say. And excuse me, in terms of coming of age, I'll be, I'll be very honest with you. The coming of age portion was very difficult. And in the sense that I started to, hmm, when I started middle school, I was the new kid. And like I said, it was a primarily white affluent school. There were some cool people and there were people that were, you know, I don't know where, whether I could curse or not. I won't, but I just you to say, like, you can plug and open. Want. This is a show where we talk about people. We talk about openly about sexuality. And I make jokes about stuff like that. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> These guys were assholes. And frankly, they were. And it was comments like, I remember this guy, Hunter Fairchild. I don't mind using names because what are they going to do? Um, it was one time we were sitting at lunch and he's like, Renan, you know, you're not a boy. Right. And little things like that, or little homophobic jokes. So I, was, I was a tomboy. I still am a tomboy. If you ever see me out for the most part, I'll probably be walking around with my hair up in a hood um, in large part, because I, I'm mean, most of the times I don't want to be bothered by people. And I found that 
guys don't get bothered walking down the street. Whereas even if I'm dressed bummy with my hair down, it's completely different, wildly different experiences. And I, you know, I just don't want to be bothered, but I'm the most comfortable when I'm dressed down. And that makes me feel happy at the end of the day. So I tend to dress more or less like that. I wasn't into wearing skirts and dresses and I've gotten more into that now because damn, I look good. Like when I want to, I can, it's just, oh God, it's effort. You won't ever see me wearing makeup either, Matt. Like I could tell you that right now, I'm not a makeup wearing girl, but just, um, I got to a point where I was so tired of being picked on about it that I started saying things that were homophobic to try to throw people off. And it bothered my parents a lot actually um in large part because my dad's best friend is gay um my uncle charles my uncle levon who it never registered to me like i spent all this time around them and it never registered to me that they're gay and my mom and dad's realtor who's also their very close friend and my close friend miss angela as well too she's gay and so they were just so disappointed in me because they had not raised me like that those were not the kinds of like just it was not good I'm really, and I sit and I cringe to think about the fact that my solution for dealing with that harassment was to try to join the mob, to try to throw people off, as opposed to just sitting there being comfortable. And I get that as a middle school kid, you make mistakes. I understand that, but I don't accept that from myself. I try very hard to learn things and to be educated about things so that I can speak informally about stuff. And for me to succumb to that and to stoop to their level, it just makes me so upset with myself because I expect better for myself. More than anybody else, I expect better for myself. And I should never have made any kind of homophobic jokes at any point in time. And so by the time I got to high school, I started to get much more comfortable with myself. I was also, um, I was still, my experience was I had a crush on my best friend. Uh, and because, you know, just I won't, for personal reasons, like, I won't go into that as much, but just to say that that was the first girl that I had a crush on. And it was a very arduous situation. And because I can't really get into it, just to say that she and I are fine. She's still my best friend. We worked through it ultimately and everything is good. But just to say that I had a lot of feelings about that. I hated that. I hated it was my best friend. Of all the people in the world, I've said this to her, I've said this to many people, I just could not understand why would I be attracted to my best friend of all the people in the world. It could have been anybody else. Anybody else in the world, I swear. And it was her. And it sucked. It really did. Um, it complicated things more than it ever needed to be complicated. And crazy enough, one of the things that helped me and something I haven't even really talked about because of what happened recently is how much Naya Rivera, she obviously, well, for people who don't know, she played Santana Lopez in Glee, how much she resonated with me because I felt how she felt on so many levels. I, I mean, I had a supportive family and I had a supportive group of people around me. It's just that, that anger, that frustration, and how she would act out because she didn't want people to know that she was LGBTQ. Um, she was a lesbian, I'm bi, but I didn't want to cope with those feelings. I wasn't prepared to address them. I, I mean, it took me until junior year to really talk to my best friend about it because I actually stopped talking to her for eight months because I felt like I could not handle being friends with her instead of addressing the situation, which I think I wish I could go back and fix. I wish I could have just talked to her about it instead of doing all of those things. But you live and you learn. And I loved Santana's progress in the show. And another show that I 
very obsessively watched was Pretty Little Liars. I don't know if you're familiar with Shay Mitchell or Emily Fields' portrayal in uh, Maya St. Germain, Bianca Lawson. But if you're familiar, Shay Mitchell was somebody I also, and she and I had the same birthday, actually. It's so funny. But she, somebody I resonated with probably a little more than Santana. Because Santana was a cheerleader. She was very pretty and everything else like that. And it's not to say that I'm not pretty, but I'm not Santana pretty. I'm not going to walk around in a cheerleader skirt all day. That's not me. Shay Mitchell and Emily Fields, she was the sporty girl, but she was still attractive, though, and she was kind of tomboyish, and so for that reason alone, I, I definitely resonated with her, and just that hesitation, that fear, and in both shows, Brittany and Maya were both very encouraging and very open-minded and thoughtful and patient and things of that nature, and it just resonated so much. I really hated Pretty Little Liars for getting rid of, rid of Maya really hated the show for that because I thought she was the best person for Emily so it just it sucked so you know the first person I actually told was my ex-boyfriend and he is one of my best friends and some people might think that that's strange I date people who I'm friends with I date people who I'm friends with and if I can't talk to you about that kind of a thing I cannot I just can't do the point of dating you so he and I talked about it and he was so encouraging and he was supportive and he could see how much I was struggling with it and at the end of the day all he really wanted for me was just to be happy that was his big thing and so we would talk about it on a fairly regular basis I had other friends in college who I would talk to about it and at some point after I had had my conversation with my best friend it was just I don't feel like being bogged down with this anymore I did talk to my parents about it and obviously there's a difference with you know having your kid be in the community versus you know people you're friends with and stuff like that but my parents have been fine my parents big thing is date people that respect you and they love you and they care about you and they support you and they encourage you and they want you to be the best version of yourself that's really all they can ask of somebody that dates me they're not exactly that invested in my love life like I don't have helicopter parents at all pretty much I they find out stuff whenever I tell them stuff (laughs) how that kind of goes so I haven't big boogeyman or the big fear that I had was never actualized there was nobody that shunned me because of the fact that I'm bisexual and I find myself attracted to women and if somebody came along and said something I mean I I played basketball where some people knew and they might have made a comment and I would simply respond back you know you keep talking I will take your girlfriend I personally don't have an issue I strongly suggest you deal with your homophobia, but, you know, you keep talking too much. I can resolve this for you. I promise I can. And I'm fairly, I mean, confident, cocky, whatever you want to call it. I would, if I was being very honest, there were other, there are other things I'm not sure are appropriate for me to say, but that's neither here nor there. So you can read between the lines, but (laughs) it's just, (laughs) I don't get. I'm hearing a lot of myself in you. It's it's almost. Oh yeah, I hear myself in the comments of of talking to people about you know you can say this homophobic things. I'm like I'll steal your guy over there. I hear that. I hear the history (laughs) thing. I'm very into history. Obviously, not African American history, but other kinds of history. I see that. I see the way I grew up. Maybe not watching Glee and Pretty Little Liars. I didn't do that. My sister did that. I didn't do that. Certainly watch Pretty Little uh, Liars. Uh, but I see, 
I see a lot of myself in this story, and so therefore I, I connect with it. And also being bisexual is something that's very tricky. It's hard for people who aren't bisexual to understand what that is like. Like, you could yeah, have a, yeah, they... you know, you oh, have your friend, and it's the first person you, you, you talk to about it, and it's, it, these are complicated feelings that are very hard to parse out, and they change. They do. They do. And it's, what's the question I constantly get is are you more attracted to women or are you more attracted to men and the answer is i'm not more attracted to either i'm attracted to people that have common sense and what i find on a regular basis is that and this is a lot of this is a ton to do with society if i really want to get in if i wanted to get into history stuff i would get into it i'm going to avoid that for this particular topic but just to say that we as a society ask women to grow up faster than we ask men to grow up and so for me I think of myself as being very mature. I don't have time, like just with what I do, the things I've been interested. I just said I did nine internships and three jobs. I didn't date anybody in college. I, my first girlfriend was long distance. So I don't really, I mean, we were dating in college for like my, my senior year, but just, you know, and it was only the first part of my senior year. So it just, I can't be with somebody who's clingy. I can't be with someone who's insecure. I can't be with somebody who doesn't know what they're doing with their life because I for so long have known exactly what it is that I want to do. And I'm a very aggressive person. I will go after whatever it is that I want, full steam ahead. I won't think twice about it. And I just hustle. That's that's my personality. I mean, if you saw me in college, you'd see me talking to anybody. There was one time where we had Scott Van Pelt up at the sports symposium in 2013. And everybody was sitting around looking at him. And I decided, fuck this. I'm going to go talk to him. Like, I, I just couldn't see the point of standing at a distance looking at him like he's not a normal guy. I know that he hosts SportsCenter. I understand that. He loves Maryland. You think I can't find one thing to talk to him about? Crazy. I sat there and started talking to him. And everybody else was like, well, okay, all right. I mean, she's kind of opened the gates up. I and, mean, you know, maybe we'll just, you know, we'll just kind of hover over, shade over, and, you know, start to talk to him. And people did and I don't have an issue people do that that's just I'm an extrovert I don't have an issue I have no shame whatsoever I don't really have fear when it goes to talking to people heck I saw Stuart Scott at a National Association of Black Journalists convention in 2013 obviously he went to North Carolina I started talking trash about North Carolina I knew I knew oh, my facts such a great I mean, Maryland alum for doing that I admire even more for doing that that's great <laughs> I'm fearless and that is what I wish I could go back and talk to my younger self about it as a person that I am now who doesn't hesitate to do things, who isn't afraid of getting that no. I wish I could have gone back and said something to myself because it's never as bad as you think it is. I don't know if you remember that age where you send a risky text message and you throw your phone across the room and just like let it be what it is and like see what happens. I don't do that. If I, I don't really have risky texts. I mean, I have text messages where I feel like I might get a reaction, but I don't care one way or the other. So, to get back on the track, so I know it's a little bit of a tangent. It's well, just that fine. this podcast is all about random tangents that don't make sense. This is perfectly in tune with what we're going on with here. It's fine. I love it. Okay, so then I just most of the women that I have dated have already figured out what they want to do, and most of them are pretty busy. It's the same way I'm busy. They're very confident in themselves and what it is that they want to do, and that's very attractive to me. And so, for instance, I'll tell people the careers of the people I've dated. And my ex-boyfriend is a professional basketball player. He plays in France now. He played at Wake Forest. He and I went to rival high school, actually. And my next 
uh, relationship with a girl from Houston, a woman from Houston. She's a doctor. She's actually about to do her residency at Baylor now. And then my next uh, girlfriend, she's a lawyer. She just graduated from law school this May. And my last girlfriend is finishing her master's uh, degree in education. So uh, ever, actually, everyone I've dated has had two degrees. I'm the only person in my relationship who has not had two degrees. So it's funny when people think I'm the smartest one in my relationship, and I'm like, oh, far from it. Very, very far from it. Well, <laughs> Certain things I'm very you don't need more. You don't need much more than one. Because people telling me, you should go get a <laughs> master's in journalism. I'm like, that's not really worth it here. Once you know how to do it, you know how to do it. It's true. There's a reason I picked to go to Maryland, and that, that was part of the reason is that I don't need a master's degree out of Maryland to get the job I want to get. I can do it just fine with a bachelor's degree and boatloads of experience as I have um, shown, excuse me. And so that was – people don't really understand. It's like, yes, I have dated three – I have had been in a relationship with three women. I have had one man that I have dated. I just – what I get tired of with men is – the lack of passion or drive or some of the homophobic things that they say, uh, insecurities. In my in my family, my mom made more than my dad. And like I said, she's the one with the two degrees. And she was the one who ultimately had the more, um, what's the word I want? Basically, her job was more, more high profile. So that's my family. My grandmother was the authoritarian in the family. Actually, all of the women, like in my, like not immediate, but for instance, my mom had two brothers and a sister. My uncles are married to two women who have, who, who ultimately are more than they do too. So as far as my concern goes, I don't see that as being an issue. I don't see that as being a hold. If I make more money than you, if I have a higher profile job, which unless I'm, I guess I'm dating a journalist or some athlete or an entertainer, I probably will be the one with a higher profile job. I don't really see that as being an issue and it's not a competition. I'm not ashamed of the fact that you don't have a job where you're out there in the spotlight. In fact, I'm fine with that. I'm perfectly okay with that. But there are so many men I find that take exception to that thought or the big holdup for most men that have approached me is the locker room. They get so upset about the idea of me being in a locker room with naked men and I am dumbfounded every single time because I'm thinking to myself, wait, because I really only date people who played sports. I, that's my preference. I like people that who are more athletic or smaller in my, not like puny, but just like with women, even still like some athleticism there. And so I just think to myself, wait, you used to go in a locker room. What about that experience is fun? Do you think like, just remember what you did and that's what I'm doing. I mean, I'm not looking at these guys. I'm trying my very hardest to find something like a TV or something like that in there to keep my eyes averted because I don't want to invade their personal space. Going into a locker room is such a weird experience in and of itself. I mean, I wish there was a better way to do it. And fortunately, we haven't found a better way to do it because like that's the most immediate time after practice to get to these guys. But just they must think I go in there just oogling and ogling or I know they don't think that because they told me that that's like a thing. Like you don't really be checking them out, do you? No, that's entirely unprofessional and it's harassment too like I wouldn't no I don't want them to be uncomfortable with me being there I know that some guys get held up on that but I try to do as much as I personally can within my control to not bother these guys that is the objective seriously I, I go in there and you can you can ask any other journalist in the Washington football media I usually have a thing of candy that I bring with me why because it distracts me 
and also because it's a good conversation starter too. So I mean, if a guy sees me, like he'll come up and we'll talk, and they'll be like, "Can I get a piece of candy?" I'm like, should you be eating this candy? But sure, you can have a piece. Um, well, I I think what's interesting about that is is also it's it's one of those things I've joked that the most insecure people on God's green earth are straight white men, and it's a thing that will never ever ever get old. It's a joke that I love, and it's a joke I will go back to for the rest of time. But it's also the thing that's mm-hmm. about like what I hear about the locker room. I think about it in vis-a-vis other sports, not necessarily football. But I think about it, it's like, well, we're going in there. This is professional space. I'm going to treat you professionally. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to, like, our brains are not wired that way. But if we can, we can get through that. And, I, and I've been in locker rooms like that. And, you know, I personally don't like going into locker rooms. I don't think you get much out of there. You know what I mean? Like, I, I've gone and done the <laughs> yeah. post scrums, and I just, I don't like it. I don't think you get good quotes. I don't think you get the stories you'd like to get. Like, I'd wait until the end and just wait until people leave, and then I can have a better conversation to get better stories. But that's just me personally. And also, as a broadcaster, it's a little bit different. But I think for me, it's just it's about professionalism. If we expect to treat these people with the professionalism, then, you know, we should be able to do the same thing. And I don't think the locker room's any different, you know. And maybe it's also because I've trained my brain to think that athletes at this point are just like, you know. Or if I presume somebody's straight, it's just like, just don't even bother. It's not worth your time. And that maybe that helps me, but I don't know. It's it's a car. It's a hard dynamic, but it's a dynamic. I think that if you're a good professional, you can get around. I don't think it's a major hurdle. No, I don't. I mean, I personally don't see it as a major hurdle. But I mean, again, once people figure out, once specifically more or less men, um, I actually have never had a woman who's had an issue with it. I can't think of one at least. Well, I, um, I think it's also, and you brought up a point with me because I, I again I hear myself in the my mother had a more high-paying, high-profile technically job than my father before he passed away. And my mother's raised two kids by herself for multiple years, you know, and we'd always talk about my grandmother's being one of the smartest women around, but she grew up at the wrong time and couldn't go to college and couldn't do all these things that she should have done. So I've grown up around strong women my entire life, so I see it the same way you do. I've, I constantly told people, my sister's smarter than me. What, do you, what the hell are you talking about me for? She, she does more than me. <laughs> She, and she right now, I mean, my, uh, it helps that our business right now is in a bit of turmoil and hers is not, but she makes more money than me and she's three years younger. I don't care. That's just life, you know, and I don't, I don't mind. You know, it's, it's one of those things where I think it, it also comes in, I guess it's the idea of not just the family that you're raised in, but just how you see the world. And I've, I've seen the world as, uh, you know, it's people. It's all about people. I don't gender these things. They never bothered me because I never was raised to see any of that. I had to come and see it later because that's how the world saw it, as opposed to me being raised that way. I wasn't raised that way. And it, and it helped kind of inform it, uh, the way that I view the world. And also with you, you being fearless, you're perfect for this job, because I, I don't <laughs> think we, we, we feel now that because of access and because of the eggshells we walk on to get that access, people aren't necessarily going to be as fearless as they might be, especially when you're coming to an organization like that that's got all sorts of stuff going on. That fearless nature makes it better. You get the scoops, you get the stories, and you tell the stories. And that makes you better at your job. So you're set up perfectly for this industry, and your personality is perfect for what you do. And that's why you're such a good journalist, because you are fearless. And that, and that fearlessness coming from dealing with all that you dealt with to get to now, again, this makes you better at your job. Yeah, I just nothing is as bad as you think it's going to be. And I, that's, actually, I've never thought about my coming out experience as a means of helping me get comfortable. I mean, that was certainly at the time, that was the hardest thing that I had ever been through. I mean, I don't try to act like I've gone through certain struggles in life because I haven't. I never, like I was just on uh, Twitter the other day. I'm, I'm, I imagine you probably saw it. 
But um, just to say, like, I did grow up with financial privilege. My parents made a lot of money. Like, that did happen. And I did grow up in a space where I saw people that looked like me who had a lot of money with college-educated people around them, same as I did. And so, no, I mean, I went to high school on no scholarship. I, my parents paid for it. I'm very thankful for what they did. And that's part of it is, like, I took stuff very seriously because my parents paid for it. I think some people, when they saw my comments, they said I wasn't taking it, they thought I wasn't taking it seriously. I'm like, no, that's not it at all. It's like I had one semester in school where I had less than a 3.0 GPA, or maybe was it two? I think it was one or two in Maryland where I had less than a 3.0 GPA, but the rest of them, it was either 3.0 or higher. And like I had one where I had 3.75, one was a 3.5, another was 3.4 and something. But, you know, I was a good student. I just had that one semester with econ. God, I um, where I got a D in a four course. Um, the, the one we had to take for stat, you know, the major stat class you had to take oh, to be a major uh, was awful. In that yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, to Maryland jump back on. Or at the Merrill College, you know what class we're referring to. <laughs> yes, I do. I know exactly what class you're talking about. <laughs> but, Funny story say about that. that. I, I, I loved, this is a funny story. I loved that I had a couple of Maryland athlete stories, and I'll tell this one here, because in that class, Des Wells, who, if you don't know, he was a, a great player for Maryland for a couple of years, was in that class. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd see him watching clips of Michael Jordan when the teacher was teaching. I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that, I, I, I shouldn't, and I wasn't laughing, because it was just like, you shouldn't do that, but I was just like, oh, that's, that, that was, that was the stuff right there. That made me, that gave, put a smile on my face when I didn't really like that class. So that was, that was a fun little story. Yeah. Um, but just to go back to the point that I was ultimately making there, it's just that I don't, I mean, shoot, like at this moment in time, I guess I could be really, really honest. Uh, at this moment in time, like there's a guy that I find attractive and there's a woman that I find attractive at the same time. It's but again, my big thing is that, I am, I just want to be, I really want to be with somebody who is motivated, who's hardworking, who is an honest, straightforward person who doesn't, I don't, I don't like a lot of foolishness. I mean, I, for what I do, I, I don't have the attention span for it. I don't care for it. And so I really, as I was saying, I just need somebody who's on their P's and Q's. Like, yeah, I want to have fun. I mean, I make jokes all the time. You see it on my Twitter. Like, I'm not always serious, <laughs> but I want I want the whole range. I don't want a robot. I want somebody that can work with me and make me a better version of myself. As I said, I'm all any way that I can grow and be a better person. I'm all for that. So, I mean, one of my exes taught me about Latina dad. I didn't know very much about it. And so she was, she's Honduran. And so she's teaching me about Latinx, um, why Hispanic is not the right word to call somebody from Latin American or Central American countries. I don't need to say Central American. That was redundant, but the point being is that I learned something from dating her. My ex, who is a teacher now, uh, I learned a lot more about how to communicate. Cause I'm, like I said, I'm very blunt. And so I know I can hurt people's feelings sometimes because I don't sugarcoat things. And so finding a tactical way of saying the things that I wanted to say, she taught me some stuff about that. And just, that's a big thing. I, I always want to learn stuff. I don't come into anything thinking I know everything because I don't. And I'm open and very honest about that. And if people want to know, like, what all I do in the locker room, I usually go to players and I talk to them about stuff I don't know. I ask them, like, hey, can you explain this to me? Or I saw this play. Can you explain to me why this worked or why this didn't work? Because it kind of seemed like it should have worked, but it didn't work. Um, I'm very open about the stuff that I do and I don't know. And that's the big thing for me personally. And so I want – whoever I'm with, and it's 27 right now, my big thing is that whoever I date, 
next is somebody I want to have a very long-term relationship with. So I'm not willing to come off of being single and where I'm at right now for anything less than what I perceive will be a very long-term relationship. All my relationships have been a year or longer. Um, and like I said, I was friends with those people. And I think that that takes time to develop. And that's something that my therapist says I, I have needed to work on is that sometimes I get so enamored with people. I don't do all of my due diligence, but I can concede that too, right? And I do pay her to tell me the truth about myself. And so um, <laughs> that's what is interesting is when people ask me that question is that they've seen me date a lot of women. They see me talk to a lot of women. So they think that that's where I hedge towards. And there's lots of things that I love about women. There are, there, there, there definitely are without question. I love the sensitivity of women. I love the openness of women. I love how soft they are. I'm a big fan of smelling nice and of being like, so, like if you ever shake my hand, I have a firm handshake, but I'm very soft hands. So very moisturized. I take that very seriously. I like nice smells. I like candles. And it's not to say that men don't like these things. They do. Plenty of men do. And that's not a stereotype I'm willing to like start. I just, I love that element about women. I love that because for instance, like little touches, I don't usually have to ask any of my girlfriends, this is my ex-boyfriend, but like, for instance, like little touches, like I like my scalp rub. That's a big thing for me. And I find that with women, that's something that we all inherently want. Like for our partners is like those little intimate touches that are inherently sexual. And I get that automatically. I don't have to say anything. Like they could just know that that's something I want and or need at the moment. Or we'll just be sitting together and that's the thing that happens. And that's great. I like that. Sometimes I find with guys, you have to like really take the horse to water there. And it's just like, eh, I don't need that. Um, but what I enjoy about men, I love their, their strength. And their strength is different, is very different kind of strength. is that physical strength. And like I said, I like to date my ex-boyfriend as a former basketball player, or is a basketball player, excuse me. So I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of the working out element. I am a big fan of um, my suits. I love a good suit. I do. And I love men like you, like my ex is like, I'm just going to grow a beard right now. It's kind of funny. Um, but I like facial hair element. I like the strong, strong jawline. I like big muscles. I'm a big fan of the entire, the entire thing. I mean, I can be very headstrong, very headstrong with most people. And so whether it's a guy or a girl, one thing people would be surprised to hear about me is that in my relationships, I tend to not necessarily be the dominant personality because I'm so dominant in the outside world that I allow somebody else to take that role on and just kind of, I'm a big baby, actually huge baby. So that's probably one of the reasons I find I love women is that they will baby you. Men can kind of sometimes be like, I don't feel like you right now. Um, that whole deal. So it's, I don't know. I like, I love both sides of them. I do. I really, really do. I love not being harassed when I walk down the street when I'm with a guy. I love, you have no idea how nice that is. It is so pleasant because I tend to date, I tend to, I almost exclusively date women who are very pretty and that's just my preference. Um, and so walking down the street can be a task. I'm never going to be ashamed to hold somebody's hand when I walk down the street. That's just not me. I do recognize that when I do that, even if I wasn't holding a girlfriend's hand, I'm probably going to deal with harassment and it sucks. It absolutely sucks. And um, if I do hold her hand, because again, I do like pretty women, that we're both going to be harassed. Going to a party is, you have to, I have to mentally prepare myself when I go out most nights, like walking down the street or out that the comments about like, oh, like y'all are just 
play dating, you know, y'all need a guy, mm, y'all just going through a phase, uh, like, you know, you're bisexual, so, like, you know, can we get a threesome, like, stuff like that. Interesting me in saying it's really disrespectful. It is beyond disrespectful. It's so foul. I never deal with that when I'm with a guy. Even if I'm, like, I mean, I haven't dated a guy since 2011, but when I'm with a guy friend, I can perceive that that's my boyfriend. They never say anything to me. They leave me the hell alone. And I don't feel like I should have to be attached to a guy in order for that to be the case. I actually hate that a ton. And as a society, we have got to do better there with that in particular. And I, you know, I'll give you an example. There was one time I was with an ex-girlfriend and I was walking down the street. I saw this large group of guys coming towards us and I took the biggest deep sigh and I think I squeezed her hand pretty tight. And then as they're walking closer to us, and I was kind of looking at them, I was like, wait, oh, hold up. They're gay. And I was suddenly relaxed. I immediately relaxed. And guess what? They gave us compliments, and they kept walking. They were like, oh, you guys look good. Like, yo, okay. I'm like, oh, we're going over to 14th and Park, da 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 And, like, we actually kind of entertained the thought of going with them. But if it had been a group of straight men, I'd been stalked multiple times. There was it was the same ex-girlfriend. I was in New Orleans. And these two guys were following us. And I noticed, I'm very aware of my surroundings. Uh, maybe it's a journalist thing, or maybe it's just my personality. I don't know which one it is, but I'm very aware of people and being stared at or being followed, whatever the case may be. And so I told her, we're on Bourbon Street, so then we turn onto Royal Street. Like I said, I have a pretty good memory. And we turned onto Royal Street, and I saw these two police officers. Because Royal, if you've been to New Orleans, is less, uh, it's less foot traffic than Bourbon, without question. Walked with the police officers acting like I was getting instructions from them, but I said, hey, over my shoulder, if you, like, look discreetly, you'll see these two guys probably turning the corner right about now, and they've been following us for several blocks. The police weren't discreet about it. They looked up, and, you know, they, like, started to walk towards them, the guy's tall tail, and I'm just kind of like, what was your plan exactly where y'all felt the need to run away in a situation like that? So I like to... I like to be comfortable. I mean, I, with a, with, you know, be, dating a guy is so much easier in so many different ways. There's so much less to explain about that relationship. And there's the benefit of, you know, if I want to be cute, I know that nobody's going to say anything to me because he won't have it. And I, he won't have it. I personally won't have it. And also I know because I tend to date guys who are, like I said, bigger. I know if I say something that, the person is probably going to get their ass whooped, and that's just by my boyfriend, by me too. So I don't take exceptions to that. But when I'm with another woman, I seriously have to think about whether I want to dress up or I want to dress down. And what kind of commentary will be my threshold before I say something out of my mouth? Um, do I want to go with other friends? And that's, that's the thing. I never think about inviting other friends on a date night with me and my significant other when it's a guy. But when I'm with a girl... I actually sometimes do consider it just to have the group effect so we don't get as bothered. And that sucks. I shouldn't think that way at all because there are so many times where I want to go out with the person I'm with by myself without an issue. And I will, of course, I'm not going to let somebody affect my life. It's just to say that re the reality is, is that I deal with so many comments every single time I step out the door and that it goes tenfold when they see me and a girlfriend together. And um, it's tiresome and I want to deal with it in any way, shape, or form. Um, I, I honestly hate it. I, I really, really do. And I have to think about 
my safety, her safety, if I say something, if she says something, if we don't say something. And that's the crazy part is that sometimes we don't say anything and we still get stalked. We still get called a bitch. We still get called a cunt and all the stuff like that. So it is harder to date women because people still have their issues with sexuality or people think that it's a vehicle for their sexual fantasies. And I'm not a church mouse personality-wise. I will say something to you if you are disrespectful to me or my girlfriend. And I have to do the cost analysis of what that might look like regularly. So I don't have a preference. I, you know, honestly, if I did, I'd have to say it'd be guys. There's just so many less issues to deal with. But I'm not willing to give up on the other half of my attraction simply because it will cause me less problems because the love and affection that I have felt dating other women has been exceptional. I have, the first person I fell in love with was a woman and I enjoyed that relationship. I did. I really did pretty thoroughly. So I'm not going to let somebody else dictate how I go through life, who I date and anything else along those lines. It's just, it is frustrating to know that the reality is that I'm going to have to deal with comments. I'm going to have to deal with stares. I'm going to have to deal with probably being followed by somebody. Or in some situations when I go out, we go out and like somebody tries to pull me from my girlfriend while I'm dancing with her or vice versa. You know how disrespectful that is, Matt? Like, have you have you ever, ever, ever had somebody do that to you when well, you're out? I don't go out to clubs because I don't like them. And I also don't date <laughs> because I focus too much on abusive relationships with sports teams that I follow and my own career. So, <laughs> Maybe not the best person to ask about that, but I mean, when I hear you talk about the things that you've gone through and the things that I will eventually go through, because I will date people at some point, I just don't right now, it's all about for me. And I also get the same thing you do, because I am very blunt and I have no fear in making a comment and saying something. And I, I do wonder a little bit about, it was part of why I like was worried about certain jobs. I'd be like, is my sexuality going to be a problem in place X, Y, and Z? Because I am very blunt, and if that was something that was a problem, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. But for me, it's all about, it's about the comfort in your own skin and the comfort just being yourself and knowing sometimes you might run into a few issues, but I'll take, a, I'll take care of that because I know that's genuinely who I am. And that's always been the thing that I, I, I'm proud of myself about is, is the self-awareness, you know, and, mm -hmm. and the self-awareness to know what I am and who I am and what that means, positive and negative, and you have that too, and, and that helps in your dating life that helps in your professional life. And I want to talk a little bit about your professional life here because you do cover the Washington NFL team and you are an out black woman covering the Washington NFL team. And there aren't a lot of out women in male sports. Uh, there aren't a lot of out women uh, in sports period, which is, is a shame. And there's not a lot of out black women covering male sports. So what does that, what is that dynamic like for you? Cause you are one of a kind. And that makes you very special. Obviously, as a journalist, you come in with a very different and unique perspective. But what does it mean to be in this position where, as I said before, it's a straight white man world in sports and you're an out black woman, technically three strikes against you. So what does what does that mean for you, especially now more than ever before, considering the reckoning we're having in society with a lot of these things? So I've not had too many issues in the actual professional world. I have had more issues with the woman element that I've had with anything else. I mean, it's not like I sit there and just walk in a room and I say, Hey guys, I'm bisexual. I, you know, I don't, <laughs> it's a part
part of me and it's not something that like I don't need to walk into a room I did well I guess I don't need to say I'm black I'm black and I don't need to say I'm a woman because it's obvious too but like for instance like you'll see me talk about stuff during pride month and everything else like that um or you'll see me wearing a shirt or anything along those lines I don't have any qualms about that and if somebody else has an issue with it they're barking up the wrong tree and so I don't Yeah, I, I really have not had any issues in that regard. Cause I'm, and I feel very fortunate to be very frank with you. I don't want to have those kinds of issues. I really want to do my job without an impediment. And I know sometimes that can be challenging, but my sexuality is not something like no one has ever said anything homophobic to me, like in the workspace. No players have ever made any commentary to me about something. I mean, guys will say no homo talking to each other. I'm just like, guys. And they're like, oh, my bad. I'm like, now, come on now. Y'all, we know that wasn't that wasn't meant that way. We, you know, we get it. We get it. Just be mindful. And they are very mindful of me. And I'll you know, nag them. Say, come on now. We don't need to say that now. We're, it's 2020, 2019. We're better than this. Um, no, I mean, a lot of the guys, one of the, what people may be surprised to hear is that, yes, the journalism world is primarily white cisgender men but in the locker room it's mostly black guys mostly black guys who are my age and I have that working for me very much so and so I don't have to fake talking about the latest greatest music out and stuff like that I mean I listen to the same stuff I've been out and I've seen players out and you know wave like hey and keep pushing because not only are they trying to live their life, I'm trying to live my life. And I have no interest in what they do outside of that football field. I really don't. I mean, it's not something I have to report on. I'm not going to report on it. I'm not going to take a picture with them. I'm not going to hang out with them. Not because I don't like them. I mean, I'll sit there and talk to them and I'll rap with them and everything else like that. It's just that I want them to live their personal life. And as I've found out being around them for the last two and a half years, is that there are so many people that make demands of them that when they have a chance to be out and about with their hair down, just let them do it. Just please let them do it. Just leave them be. So I'm not pressed to be up on them or anything else along those lines or anything like that. We just have genuine conversations because we find ourselves in the same age group. The team is, there were 86 players before the cut started and of the 86, 66 were 26 or younger. I'm 27. So I'm actually older than some of these guys, but still I get a lot of them. Some of these guys are from the same area as I am. Sean Davis and I went to Maryland together. So, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of funny because he's now on the team. And just to say that I have been very fortunate to work with people that have never given me grief about it or given me a hard time or be willfully ignorant or anything else along those lines in the media room or anything else like that. I mean, I've, talked pretty honestly about it but hell some of the players have seen my girlfriend some of the players or some of the people in the media have seen people I've dated so I mean some people might find this very funny to hear or whatever the case may be but just to say that I have had more guys in the locker room who are supportive like they'll say like oh look let me see your girlfriend or whatever the case like oh well, she's really really pretty da, 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 da. and couple of things actually and I have no problem acknowledging this like there's a big difference in how I would be treated if I was not attractive if I was not in shape mm, just any of those things I mean I think even like you know if I wasn't put together to have the means like get like nice clothes and stuff like that I would be treated very differently I don't have a problem I don't have a problem admitting that at all 
there's a big difference in how I get treated as one girl who I perceive as being like, when I want to be like a prettier girl, I be pretty, whatever the case may be, dating another woman who's feminine and stuff like that versus if I was, like I said, more out of shape, not as physically attractive, whatever the case may be. I can only imagine like what my reception would be if that was the case because men can get away with not being attractive and out of shape and all those stuff like that. It's not the thing for women. It's very difficult. You will hear all kinds of comments. You will get all kinds of thoughts from people and all kinds of nasty things. And that's just the reality of the situation. And in that way, I have been very fortunate. I mean, I had no, I had nothing to do with my genetics and how I came out looking or anything else like that. I mean, I keep myself in shape because I love playing basketball and going to the gym, but you know, I came out fortunate. I mean, that's pretty much it. My parents have good genes. Thanks, guys. But I've been, like I said, I've had a lot of support when I'm in the locker room. I mean, obviously these guys can date any number of different women who are extremely pretty and everything else along those lines. And so I am tickled pink sometimes because, <laughs> I mean, I'll look at my girlfriend. I'm like, oh, are you okay? Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing too bad compared to some of these guys and stuff like that. And I don't have, uh, you know, all the nice stuff and everything else in between. I think it's kind of funny, but... Maybe one of them very hot guy one day, and then I can, and we can make those comments in the other direction too. More knowing. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I've, I mean, I'm I, unfortunate. I, for me, it always comes down to covering this this issue and how much I want to see out athletes, just because I think it needs to be normalized. Because just aren't many of them, and the NFL is different because of the numbers. And I've talked with, and you see the stories about football players and some of the pretty frames mm-hmm. played for that team the one you covered a long time ago. And now, and for me, I don't know what you think about covering that issue. I don't know how much you've had to cover it. Um, but for me, it's always about like, I just wanted these people out just for their own sake. Cause I know what they're going through and I know what it means to be going through the questions about your sexuality, particularly in a space like that. But also I just want it to be normalized. You know what I mean? We want the of that thing so that it doesn't seem foreign anymore. So eventually, we all want the day where it comes out and nobody makes a big deal about of it. But in my case, it's just like we need to get it normalized first, and we need to make it easier for them to be out. And so in, in, what do you think about just that particular issue, covering out athletes and, and, and wanting to see them? Because I want to see them. That's why I do this show. But what about, what about you? I mean, I've covered a lot of out athletes, <laughs> like women. I mean, I, <laughs> I cover a ton of them. It's not, like you said, I mean, being you know, out women and out men in sports, it's so different, and it's such a hard thing to talk about, obviously. But uh, No, I was just going to say, again, that's a society thing. I mean, women being, I mean, think of how many movies, videos, porn, you have, some guy's fantasy is two women together, and it's socially normalized, and it's okay. Like, there's whole songs about it, and like, you know, Katy Perry, I kissed a girl, and nobody bats an eye. Nobody thinks twice about it. But again, I, I do want to make the distinction that that it's mostly exclusively for women who are who men can find sexually attractive. To be very clear, if these are two women who are not, then you're going to probably get some negative comments there. So it's one of those things where we as a society have allowed the space for women to be out and women to be comfortable talking about this and women to be comfortable in this space to the point where like for instance in the WNBA like no one is just coming out I mean these women are just being themselves you know or like in women's college basketball whatever the case may be it's not a big deal at all um you know the best women's soccer player in the world Megan Rapinoe is outdating one of the best basketball players 
in the world to see birds. Why so... don't people talk about how great that is? Not enough people talk about how great that is. No, people don't talk about that as much as they should. I mean, obviously, but that would require people to talk about women's sports in general, which they seem to have a substantial roadblock on in the first place. So, you know, we can ha we have to dissect that issue in addition to, like, why they don't talk about how wonderful it is that Sue Bird and Meg Rapinoe date each other. I mean, that's um, like but a I sports power couple out the time, kind of. But anyway, I mean, yeah, you you're right about that. But in the case of but in the case of of, of male sports, because I, I see out women and I and having covered this now more, I see what the difference is and how big the difference is. But for me, growing up as a guy, you know, with certain stereotypes about what gay men were that are not necessarily true and being involved in sports from like the moment I could first start to think about it, you know, I wanted to see people like me and I didn't. I see more of them now, but I know there's a lot of people out there that want to see that. And I think, you know, Maybe it's the wrong way to think about it, but just like if an NFL player, an active NFL player came out, it would be a really big deal. I think we'd, we'd cover it better as the media in a big concept would cover it better today. But just how much that would normalize what so many people think is not normal, you know, like something like that could really change a lot of perceptions societally. But I mean, there's so much that you have to get through to get to that. And we obviously know there's gay players in the NFL. There's no way there aren't. The statistical possibility of there being zero is, well, zero. So th there's that too. And, and, and that to me has also been why I, I like doing the show. It, it, it's not even as much football. Football, I've covered, I've talked to a lot of people who've been out in football. And that's just because of a numbers game. And it's, it's odd that you would think football, the locker room is the most masculine and most typical, you know, stereotypically masculine things. But Actually, it's kind of more accepting than other sports I've covered in other places. Football's not as bad as you might actually think it is. And that also, that it, it's something that I'm still trying to figure out why that is. Mm, Particularly, there's another sport that is far worse than football with this, and it starts with H and ends with Y, and it's played with a puck. <laughs> We're talking about the National Hockey League oh. and talking about different people coming in from other countries like I can I mean like if, for instance, if we're looking at hockey I mean there's a number of Russian players and you know what Russia as a society thinks about gay people over there it isn't even, we it, already it's know Russians it. it's just a genuine pervasive culture in the sport from the minute you start playing to the minute you get to any high level and I've talked about that but in the NFL and in with football I've talked with football players on this show and I know you've talked to probably out football players it just it's the culture is different in in that locker room space as opposed to what it is in other sports and that's why i think i mean it's tough for football i i, I bring up the story of ryan o'callahan all the time because that is, gives you a great example of what a closeted gay football player goes through just to keep playing you know and not even mm -hmm. just playing just to live um and so th that's also the dynamic too and but I think but it, it's so different because of football's place culturally in America that an NFL player coming out or a big-time college football player coming out would do a lot to show people the stereotypes you have about this community are wrong. And that would be – there's not much of a better forceful way to change that than just seeing it and having that. But, again, maybe that's – again, I, I, I value different perspectives on this because it is such a, a – a complex issue and there's a lot more going on here with culture and the intersection with a bunch of different issues particularly in the nfl but 
I would just, I think I would agree with you. I, well, I think I would, I would agree with you. I don't think I know for a fact I would agree with you. It would simply, in my personal opinion, it's going to take a star player coming out while he's playing and acknowledging his sexuality to open the door for other players. I think other players would need to see it um, because some people will think that, you know, be a gay football player, you're silly, you're not a very good player, whatever the case may be. Or bisexual, I, I find the dynamic of being a bi- when bisexual men enough they're bisexual people can just like, you're really just gay, but you want to like make it seem as though like you're into women. That whole thing, I don't, and I never hear that when I find bisexual, like the people can legitimately believe like, oh, okay, I like, you know, like both sides, cool, no problem. Um, I just think it's going to end up having to take, it really is going to have to take a star player or some, somebody along those lines who's, Somebody with a really DGAF personality, you know, somebody who really doesn't care, you know, and I know that those personalities are out there. I mean, maybe they're more in the NFL than they are in other sports, but uh, you need a strong personality because there's also the element of not just the homophobia that you would see from some fans, and obviously you would see that, uh, but there's also the coverage from the media and the being the constant center of attention for that you know, for a good period of time because it would be a story. Like, I don't think it's as big of an issue as some people make it out to be, but it is a thing mm-hmm. that would happen. And and also, I mean, like, if it was in a case with you, you'd be actually be able to help some of your colleagues, like, figure out, okay, here's how we can cover this and do this a little bit better than just because everybody brings up Michael Sam and I bring up, you know, like, that was just not treated the way it should have been treated. If we could redo it in 2020, we'd do it a lot differently than we did. So... Again, I think that that's also we've evolved, but there is still that fear from people about the media and what they do. And I think as journalists and people who who cover these stories, we have to do a better job of of telling them. And that's why, you know, it, it it's a dynamic that if your 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 colleagues might not understand in the same way that you do. So having you there and having people out there who know what it takes to cover these stories and know what it means to cover these stories, that adds another layer two and now that we have a few more of them out there it, it's easier to do it now but it's still it's still tricky and I, I can imagine that there are players that are thinking that too and also it's like you know it's the whole idea of like we don't want to you know we don't want to intrude on your personal space that's your personal life but I mean for for something like that it's very different because of the societal issues it touches and again it's a it's right. a minefield and there's a I think we're closer to it than we've been I don't know how close we are but then again we're right. Where when I started following this issue, we weren't close to anything at all. We were at the center of the earth, so. No, I definitely agree with you. Mm-hmm. Now that you are where you are, and you've gone through what you've gone through, just covering that team, and you should read the piece on The Athletic uh, from Rhiannon if you haven't done that. So how, how do you feel? Do you, do you feel most comfortable now in your own skin now that you've gotten so much of this, you've accomplished so much just professionally, and you've gone through all of the difficulties you've sadly had to go through and unfortunately had to go through do you feel like you're in the best place now that you've been in because you have this career stability you're covering an nfl team which is one of the the highlights for any journalist is to cover the nfl on the beat and you're out you're living your life and you're as confident as anybody that you're ever going to meet do you feel like you're in your the, the best place you've been at now for a while now that you've gotten through the accomplishing all that you've accomplished and got through what you've gone through that is an interesting question. Uh, in the sense that I always can tell, say, I always can do better. And that's such a cliche, but actually, that's how I honestly feel. I don't enjoy my stories in the sense of I don't sit 
and I don't sit with them. I wrote a story about Chase Young at St. Vincent Pilates, and I immediately turned around and wrote another story. I don't favor them. They don't sit with me for too long. And it's interesting. So I think the best place I'll be in is where I can write a big story that I think that one was like 4,000 words, something along those lines, and go back and have the time to reread it and sit and enjoy it. Whatever the case may be, excuse me for knowing. And I think at this company, I'm extremely happy. I work with several mentors and people who I'm close with, and I felt supported through everything. I felt supported when I got called a nigger, and I felt supported when I was sexually harassed. I felt supported when the Washington Post was doing the story, and I felt supported. I was encouraged by my bosses to write a first person. This was not my idea, actually. And it was in line with who I am as a person is that I don't necessarily want people speaking for me. Not necessarily, perhaps, but I don't want people speaking for me or from on my behalf, but I'm perfectly able and articulate to do so myself. And so it's interesting. I didn't anticipate going through all these things. I mean, if you asked me if I was going to be called a nigger at this job or at ESPN, I definitely would have told you at ESPN. I never, I never had experienced that before. So strange. So I feel when I say I've been through hell this year and then some, I'm not joking. And I am stronger for it. I sometimes wish I didn't have to go through these sets of experiences to gain those battle scars, but I guess you wouldn't get that if you, you didn't go through it. I just I, Sometimes I wish I could obtain information without the painful process. The other reason I would say that this has been the best, I'm at my best spot, is that while I was mm, 2018, the last few months I was at ESPN, I was severely depressed, miserable. And it was a combination of work and my relationships. I, as I wrote in the article, I've been cheated on, and it was right around that time in May 2018. So the last three months, I was what my therapist would call a manic episode. I just built forward into my work. That was my coping mechanism. That's how I handled the situation. Is that I had my heart broken, and I threw myself in whatever project I could so that I didn't have to sit around thinking about it. And it hurt like hell. And it took a year. Really, it took till this year. I did not get over that situation until really January of this year when she finally reached out to me and spoke to me for the first time. And we broke up. And we talked through what all had happened. And I'm just the kind of person that I like to know why things happen. I don't deal well with being ghosted. And I don't do business too well two relationships where those two things happen leaves me very sensitive to that kind of a thing. So when somebody falls off the face of the earth on me, it leaves me wondering why. It really does. I am the kind of person that you can tell me whatever you want to tell me. And in that conversation, she told me that she'd actually cheated on me twice. I thought it was just one time, two times actually. And I felt better knowing that than not knowing. And that might be crazy to some people. And it is crazy to some people. But for me, I understand what it was that led up to it, your thought process. I did get an apology, a uh, pretty profuse apology, and it lifted this big weight off my shoulders. 
I've not been bothered by that situation since January of this year. Even a year and a half out of the relationship, it's still, I can still listen to certain songs and be sad about it and be hurt about it. Or certain dates would come up and it would wreck my soul. And I know I'm in a good space and it's so ironic we're doing this today because the person that cheated on me was the one I did, I was in love with and she was my first person I was ever in love with. And today is the four year anniversary of the day we met. And it wasn't really until we started talking about it that I thought about that fact. I kind of forgot. Like, it wasn't holding me meeting to me anymore. I don't think about it. I value the experiences that I had. But my heart isn't hurting anymore. I don't feel my chest collapsing in on me, which I articulated in an article. It said that if you've never been cheated on by somebody, if you've never been ghosted by somebody or been abandoned by somebody and left without clarity and answers as to why things happened the way they happened or any of those things, you lose your peace of mind, which is you don't, you don't know what it feels like to lose your peace of mind until you don't have it. You don't know what it feels like to have things weighing on you. Every time you get in the car, every time you're by yourself, you're thinking about that situation. Because I, re- I could remember what it felt like to drive in the car and not have anything on my mind. I love that feeling of just absentmindedly going somewhere, just putting these in on and not really thinking about what it means to me or this person that was in my life and is no longer there. So right now, where I am on this particular day, I am in my best spot. I'm actually sitting here looking at my work set and just proud as hell of myself. My friend was trying to remind me that sometimes I don't slow down enough to actually savor things. And so I'm sitting to look and see like, I'm ahead of where I actually need to be at this moment in time. I'm really proud of myself. I'm really, really, really fucking proud of myself. And I don't really give myself a time back. I kind of took a vacation. Not really. Kind of took my first vacation since I left ESPN two years ago. And I have taken a pretty big amount of time away from getting back to people because I needed that space. That's something I've been better about. Most times I'm pretty accessible to people. If somebody reaches out to me, I'll answer them. And I've been working on having boundaries where if I really don't feel like talking, I don't force myself to talk to people. And I know that's been very hard for some people to understand because, again, I am so accessible, generally speaking. But I've been adamant that if I'm going to respect myself and I care about myself and my own well-being, then I need to continue to do this until I'm really ready to open these messages up. I still have hundreds of messages in my phone, in social media, and I've gotten back to some people, and I'm taking my time getting back to other people just because that's my process. It's not because I don't appreciate the fact people reach out to me. It's not that I don't love the support or anything else along those lines. It's overwhelming. I don't like text messages. Anybody who knows me will tell you I, I hate having a lot of text messages in my phone. I usually have zero, like unread messages. The fact that I have hundreds sitting in there right now is driving me insane. The fact that I have notifications on my social media is killing me at this moment in time. It just feels daunting. That's all. It's something I have to chip away at. Um, These things take time, and everybody deals with it differently. And we've learned a lot about you in the show, and I've learned a lot more about you than I ever thought I was going to know. And that, that, again, it makes me respect you more. And you should treat people as individuals with individual stories and individual needs. It's hard to do that because we always put blankets on people, and we have to treat people simply. And that's not what I like to do. You know, people are different, and people should deal with me differently than they deal with other people. And, I mean, I th- again, that makes you better at your job. It makes you a better person. 
and to, to go again to go through what you went through to still be out of here on the other side and in a good place and to be in a good place covering that team is is it's an incredible accomplishment because covering that team i mean i follow the jacksonville jaguars there's a lot of stuff that goes on but it's nothing like covering that team that you cover so i mean that that also makes and i wish we had somebody like you covering the jaguars we need it we need somebody telling those stories about why that front office is a mess and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that I could go on for years about, but don't need to. Um, and that's, and that's part of it, part of it too. And I mean, nobody's going to go through like perfectly struggle. I've gone through a ton of struggles, but it's how you deal with it and how you overcome that. And, and you've done an incredible job of doing that. And uh, I, I do want to ask just a couple quick things professionally uh, about covering the NFL this season because of how odd it is and what you think we're about to see happen. Uh, before we go, and this has been an amazing show, and I don't want to keep you on forever because you do have some unread text messages, and maybe maybe we could give you some time to get to. Um, you, what is it like covering the NFL as it stands right now because of the fear of the pandemic that's still very much going on, the, the fact that there's going to be no preseason, the fact that there's very much up in the air about the regular season? What's it like covering the NFL? Because you've covered it when it's normal, quote-unquote, and you're covering it now. What's the biggest difference day-to-day? That I'm not physically out there. That's the biggest difference. And as I, as an extrovert, I'm missing out there. Um, that was probably the last thing I was going to say to that last answer I was giving was that this is probably the best spot simply because I really like the coaching staff. I did get a chance to cover Jay Gruden's coaching staff, and there's a lot of people on that staff that I like. I have covered Ron Rivera's staff now since January. Ron is just a great person, and it's unfortunate that. We don't have training camp in Richmond. I really enjoy the city of Richmond. I have family around that area as well, too, so I look forward to getting out there because I get to see them. And, uh, you know, that, that, that time is invaluable. Those three weeks down there is invaluable. So it's the four weeks that you get between May and jo- um, June for OTAs, mandatory minicamp, rookie minicamp. Like, those four weeks are so precious because you get to meet these guys for the first time. You get to start making good first impressions or, you know, second impressions, whatever the case you may be. Just to say that I miss being out there. I miss being out in the sun, getting a tan. I miss being out there joking around with the interns. I miss the fans and their commentary and their reaction when they see plays. I really, really would love to see how Ron Rivera would act, uh, interact, not act, interact with fans at training camp. I've heard a lot of good things about him and his staff and how things go, and so I was pretty excited about seeing this. So the fact that we're not out there right now it's just tough. And I wish we could be out there, but it just isn't safe at this moment in time for us to do that. We're going to do whatever it is we need to do in order for that to make it happen. That's just the tough part. We don't know. That's what's like covering the NFL right now is that we just don't know. At the athletic, we specifically, we don't just want to put up stupid story just, just to have stories up on our website. That's, that's very counterintuitive for us. That's not the point of the job that we're doing here. That's just not it. And so that's the hard part. I love the interaction I get with people who I work with at my job. And right now, sitting at home doing a Zoom call with Sam Mills, and that's my first time meeting him, kind of sucks. I'd rather just walk up to him and talk to him in person. But I understand that we can't because of what's happening in the world. That's just to say that's been the toughest part that 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 I've been And so um, just not right. 
building relationships. That's what this business is, and you can't really do that on a Zoom call, especially in the case for you. I mean, that team is completely different to what it was, 100% different now. And yeah. again, it, you, you really have no idea. Like, you're going in almost as blind as everybody else. Like, we, we really don't know, not just like, are we going to have a season? But if there is a season, what's that team going to look like? Are they, what's going to be different? Because all the things that you knew, because covering one staff, Jay Gruden, who is now the offensive coordinator in uh, Jacksonville, of course, always connections like that. Um, and Jack Del Rio is the defensive coordinator for Ron Rivera. Of course, more Jaguars connections. Just love to see that. Everything goes back to the fact that the Jaguars are bad. Anyway, um, so, I mean, that's I, I don't think people understand how much it takes to build those relationships and establish those relationships. And you need it to get those stories. And you get the, you don't get them on a game day at FedEx Field watching Washington play Philadelphia. You get it in a training camp and OTAs and all these little things that nobody thinks about. And that's where the good stories come from that obviously the athletic likes to write about. And I think a lot of people like to read because, again, you know, why did Washington's offense look bad? Well, nobody necessarily wants to hear about that. They want to hear about other stories. And, and as you say, those relationships are, are built. And I'll ask you this then. As we start to wrap this up, do you th what kind of season do you think we're going to have? I'm convinced we're going to have a season. The NFL has too much money at stake to not have a season. I have no idea what it's going to look like. I have no idea if it's going to start on time. I mean, you're more plugged into this, at least on one team's level, and it's in a team that's in a very important market in the most publicized division. Uh, where do you stand? What do you think we're going to see? Well, there would be no fans. That's for sure. I think that's a given, obviously. Um we would be in the press box wearing masks the entire time, distanced from each other. I think there'll be less media. I mean, if you're not a regular every single day media person, I sincerely doubt that you'll be out there. But, I mean, I don't definitively know that. I'm not speaking that as, like, I, as a fact. I'm just I'm assuming that that's probably what would happen. But, um, yeah, it's kind of weird. I, I don't I mean, I, I don't like to speculate too much, so I don't know. But I think the two basics there, the no fans and the the – lighter amount of journals is probably a given mm -hmm. i know uh, it makes perfect sense to me i i, I would 100 percent agree with you there i don't know how fans are going to be allowed in even at 25 percent capacity that's still fourteen thousand people at most stadiums that just does not make sense right now and media like you're going to see one person from these outlets go and that again makes sense because of the safety right now and uh, in terms of actual games like do you think we're going to have a shortened season like if you had to guess do we have a shortened season? Do we have eight, 12 games? Do you think somehow the NFL is able to pull off 16 games? I mean, just, just, just a gut feeling for where we sit right now. That obviously could change, but. Can you repeat that one more time? You went in and out from. Ah, yeah. Do you think what kind of season do you think we're having just in terms of games? Do we have eight games? Do we have 12 games? Do we have 16? Like, are we seeing a shortened season? <laughs> Does the schedule get thrown into chaos? Like, like in terms of just like games on Sundays, what are we going to say? What do you think we're going to say? Ooh, see, this is again where me and that speculation thing don't go too well together. I'll just say that if you know they right now the way they're playing this is that they're going to do the sixteen game slate with playoffs. That's the intention. That is the the thought. Does that mean it will be altered if things start to change? Obviously, obviously. But I don't know what. I don't know what scenarios would have to play out in order for them to decide we're going to go with a 12-game season or an 8-game season. I, I don't know that answer right now, so I can't speak to it. 
I think nobody knows the answer to that question. As uh, the thunder starts crackling behind me, because there's a tropical storm that's about to hit, not just the DMV, but where I am, uh, I think that might be God's way of saying we should start to wrap this up. But I, I want to give you a chance to, um, obviously, the big takeaway from you is just your, your confidence, your ability to do your job through all that you went through and to be, and to be open about that and to be open with yourself. You've gone on quite a journey coming out, going through what you've gone through, covering the team you cover. So where do you see yourself going from here? I mean, you've accomplished quite a lot for 27. Certainly more accomplished than me sitting on my couch not having called a game in a year because of pandemic and other things. So I'll gladly say good for you on that. But where do you see yourself going from here? What do you want the eight? What do you want to keep? What's your, the ultimate goal for you? Just in covering? Do you want to? Is there any things that you have to set aspirational goals? Or is it just something like I'm going to ride it? I'm going to see where this goes. I'm happy to do what I'm doing and I want to try to maximize it. So what, what, what do you think about for your future? Uh, obviously, hopefully we get to a normal world soon. I think right now, well, I think, I think, well, I don't think things, I know things definitively. <laughs> Silly. My big thing right now is that I'm really happy doing what I'm doing, frankly. I actually would love to see what this team is going to do, quite frankly. I'm very interested in that. <laughs> and that may surprise people, but nope, I am genuinely interested in seeing what Ron Rivera's team is going to ultimately look like. And I mean that sincerely. It's fun to cover a team that is exciting and has this newness to them. And this team has so much newness to them right now at this moment and so many intriguing angles to cover. And I want to be there from the start to the finish. Keep in mind that this is a guy that took over a team in 2011 and four years later took the team to the Super Bowl. I mean, I could commit four years to that if I get to cover Super Bowl. I've already covered a Stanley Cup, and I've already covered a World Series. So, I mean, I'd love to attend my first Super Bowl covering the team from my hometown, you know, for fan, for people that don't know, I'm not a fan of the team, just like I'm from the area. So it is a hometown team, as a matter of fact. But I think that's exciting. I really, really do. And they're going to have to work hard for it. They, <laughs> they're going to have to make some changes. I mean, they're going to have to do some things very differently. But from everything I understand from people who have worked with Ron Rivera, he seems like a guy who will be able to turn this whole thing around. There's so, a lot of people in the DMV who I would be very happy if they were able to get there. Um, maybe not necessarily where I'm from in Philadelphia. They wouldn't be happy if that team got good. But the, the, for the people in the DMV who have had now a lot of sports joy after having none. When I went there, nobody was happy with sports. It was about the Capitals losing in the first round every year. Now they've had a lot mm -hmm. of sports joy with three titles in, what, the span of 18 months? So I'm, I'm happy for those people. I'm really happy for those people. And I hope that their football team can finally get its act together. Because they, they mm -hmm. don't deserve what they've gotten. That that I would say that for sure. Uh, as it really starts to rain outside, maybe you can hear that. Uh, I'm going to ask Rihanna to plug herself so that she can tell all the great people listening to the show where she could find where you can find her work uh, if you haven't found it already. <laughs> so it's very easy. All my social media except for my Facebook, which is my first and my last name, but all my other social media, Instagram and Twitter. Is instant replay. Instant is traditional spelling. Replay is R H I. First three letters of my name. Play, P L A Y. Instant replay. Play on words. Great name. I love it. It's much better than mine. 
So yeah, that's it. Is it was awesome to have you, Rhiannon. You're one of the best out there covering a very difficult team to cover, but you cover it well. You're an out woman doing amazing things, and I thank you for spending so much time on this show. And I can't wait to see what you get to do in the future. Pending there's a football season, I hope there is one. Thank you again for coming on. No problem, Matt. Thank you so much for having me on. I was one choke to another. I really appreciate this. This is, I think it's going to ultimately be an important conversation people need to continue to have. And I'm glad that you're fostering these kinds of conversations. So please continue to do the work that you're doing. Please continue to find people that are in our field who are out and can talk to their certain experiences for people who might, they might see themselves in them. So please continue to do that because it is so important for people to see that. And it's been a long time since I ended a podcast saying, go Terps, but no Terps.